Hey, everybody. I'm Patrick. I'm Charlotte. Uh, as you may have heard, if you uh, follow us or if you uh, listen to our show, we're taking a about a three-week hiatus mm-hmm. just because of uh, Brian's departure, just trying to figure everything out. You know, take some time to That's right. work out how we do the show now. So uh, Yeah, as we said, we are dry-docking the podcast. We're dry-docking the podcast. It's not ending. No, and in fact, we wanted to make sure that we keep the feed uh, hot. Yeah, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to repost some of our favorites for the next three weeks. If you haven't gone into our back catalog, here you go. Here it is. Yeah, this week we're going to revisit the Edmund Fitzgerald, if you haven't heard it, it is one heck of a tale. Great folk tale now in the Great Lakes region. Yeah, specifically and, uh, Lake Superior, the, the greatest of the Great Lakes. And just before we get started, I just want to reiterate again, Brian, we, we miss him. We will not be replacing him as a host. We are looking for another writer and producer for the show. And with that, we're, at, we're asking <laughs> that your bones bleach. Yeah, thanks. This is a Rooster Teeth production. November 10th, 1975, the SS Edmund Fitzgerald sinks in Lake Superior in a hellacious storm, setting off one of the biggest mysteries in maritime history. The fate of the giant freighter would inspire a hit song, and the debate about what sank the Edmund Fitzgerald still continues to this day. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. And I'm Brian. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas, or superior lakes. Yeah. Karaoke is in many ways the perfect outing to enjoy with friends, family, loved ones, and enemies alike. It's not too expensive, drinking is encouraged, and it's mostly safe as long as you steer clear of Ezra Miller. But there remains a thorn in my side, a prize beyond my grasp. I've searched for years, and never once have I been successful in finding Gordon Lightfoot's great classic, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Perhaps a young woman might want to reduce a room of hardened karaoke veterans to tears, but no, it shan't to be. Truly a tragedy that has made itself felt for generations. You can't find that song? I couldn't find it, no. I looked over that and Randy Newman's I Will Go Sailing No More. From Toy Story. From Toy Story. (laughs) (laughs) No, it can't be true. Yeah, I don't think you're not, you'll, you'll never find that one. But I do, I am I could surprised probably that you've find. never found Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's not been anywhere I've looked. Yeah. Oh, and hey, before we start, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out on social media. Ship Hits Pod everywhere. However, Thank you. Yes. we have just gotten word that you you must go back and listen to our middle episodes. We are we're very cross. Yeah. Because apparently people are enjoying an episode and walking on their own merry little way. <laughs> That's not the way to consume this. No, no. you need to binge. There's I an overarching to... narrative that's going to pay <laughs> off in 15 years. You are not paying attention to the ARG. Yeah. Anyway. Whatever. Yeah, but th- thanks for listening. Rate us, review us, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell our book club. Yep. That's our, so far, been our most successful. Uh, also, the podcast is doing really great. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it we, is. We've seen some stuff now, and it's like, we're doing great. We're we're absolutely killing it. We're crushing so that podcast So thank you for listening yeah, and we're, telling friends. Whatever. We're grinding on our podcast purpose. And we've got some cool news at the end of the show that we're excited to share with you. We do? Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, stick around. <laughs> I'm excited to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for you to find out. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. This is one that people have been bugging, harassing us, <laughs> annoying us. They're on the street. Have they really? Day and night. Yeah, this is one that people have been asking us for, bugging us about. Um, people have tweeted at us ass. a few times. Anyway, 
here you go. This is what you get. This is what you asked for. I hope you're happy. Yeah. Well, I replied with plenty of eye emojis uh, mm-hmm. from the Twitter account. So yeah. people have known. <laughs> All right. The Edmund Fitzgerald was built in 1957, and it was owned by the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company of Milwaukee, the first American life insurer to own a freighter. Yeah. Believe that? (laughs) The first, certainly not the last. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Northwestern Mutual named the ship after its president and chairman of the board, Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Fitzgerald's own grandfather had himself been a lake captain. Wow. So not unearned. Mm -mm. Right? I guess it was. I like how they snuck in lake captain. Like he wasn't, it's not like he was an ocean captain, but they let him play around in the kiddie pool. Apparently being a lake captain is like way more dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Just based on. Disclaimer, Patrick's from Minnesota. No, no, no. I don't, I don't care. Tied up in the Great Lakes. Little defensive land of a thousand of them. I don't know any lake captains, but there are so, so many ships sitting at the bottom of the Great Lakes. Well, maybe because it's they crazy. have the worst captains. That, I mean, there. that could be true. They're all drunk off hams. You know? <laughs> so I Maybe. I don't know. It's like the pilots who can only pilot the little planes. Yes, it's exactly. Like, well, you're going to die. Harrison Ford? Yeah. Yeah. So Fitzgerald's father also owned the Milwaukee Dry Dock Company, which built and repaired ships. So despite, you know. He's been in the game. He's just around. He's been around ships. He himself is an insurance man. Yeah, and they like owned concerns in like iron ore, I guess. So this was like, I think all an investment for them. I don't think it had anything to do with like life insurance. This was just how they made a little little extra scratch on the side. Which, not really needed. This is the 50s. Life insurance is the Wild West. You could just take one out on like your wife and all of a sudden. And murder. Weird, yeah. Yeah. Her car crashes off the PCH. And it's like, all right, yeah. Well. Here's your money. The Edmund Fitzgerald was 729 feet long. Kind of interesting. It was just one foot short of the maximum limit to pass through the St. Lawrence Seaway. Wow. Yeah. When it entered service, it was the largest ore carrier on the Great Lakes. The Edmund Fitzgerald had a deadweight capacity of 26,000 long tons. And for a time, it was the longest ship on the Great Lakes, earning her the title Queen of the Lakes. That lasted until September 17th, 1959, when the 730-foot SS Murray Bay was launched. Oof. Queen of the Lakes is such a funny name because it is just a big, like, container ship, essentially. Yeah. Is what na- it looks like. Named you know? for some guy. <laughs> yeah, named after a guy. I picture it having a sash and a crown and a big wheel of cheese next to Ooh. it. Lipstick painted on the hull. <laughs> but there's always some ship that's younger and a foot long. Yeah. It's always the way. The Fitzgerald had a very heavy job. It transported taconite iron ore pellets between mines near Duluth, Minnesota, and the iron works at ports around the Great Lakes. Now, we can get into these the iron mines up on the Iron Range. Shall I, shall I go on about the... <laughs> I, I would love to Because there's, there's a mine shaft that mm-hmm. I went down as a child. Really? In this area, yeah. And uh, there's some big trucks up there that you can get pictures with. Oh, really? Oh, big time. And this is, this is in the Quad Cities. We're talking Virginia. <laughs> Evelith, the other two. Yeah, okay. Uh, the other two. Was this around Duluth? Is this? So it's not far. It's not far from Duluth. Okay. It's the uh, there is like a large area of Minnesota called the Iron Range. It, were you supposed to go down this mine shaft? Yeah, or it's were like you a decommissioned like the mine. boy lost down oh, yeah, the shaft, I, I, and like news is called from all over the country mm-hmm. to retrieve the uh, little Patrick. Yeah, who was a mile below the earth. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or was it like high school and you're like, this is where we go to smoke weed away from our parents? Uh, no, I wish I didn't. Gr- I, I grew up much further south. This was like a vacation oh, okay. spot. This is where I would go to oh. visit my aunt and uncle. Oh, do they smoke weed? They might. Okay. Uh, obviously, those other two cities. I was joking. Of course, they are Gilbert and Mountain Iron. Everyone knows that. Mountain Iron. Yeah, Mountain Iron. You've been quad cities. You been? Uh, I'm planning a trip actively. Okay, cool. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Fitzgerald's usual route was from Superior, Wisconsin to Toledo, Ohio. By its last voyage, the freighter had made about 748 round trips. Superior is just like, it's right there next to Duluth. Oh, okay. So it's, yeah, that it's basically, sense. it's like the same port, basically. One thing I didn't realize when researching this is this ship and everyone involved had made this trip hundreds of times like everyone was right. very experienced in doing this the captain the crew everyone and i think that's kind of what led to some trouble mm-hmm. but yeah this wasn't you know a lot of the times we'll do these things and it's like the ship was overloaded or it really shouldn't have been making that trip or something but this everyone involved was like super experienced in doing this and that's something i wasn't really uh i didn't know ahead yeah of it's so routine which maybe yeah. I guess just lends to the fascination is you have no clear finger to point. Yeah. There's no cat. There's no Francesco Chitino. <laughs> Nobody was showing off. Everyone was just a solid Midwesterner just doing their job. Yeah. Just putting on a brave face and braving the worst conditions possible in the winter. Also, I, yeah, yeah, I will say this part of the world. Yeah. The U.S. is hell in the winter. You are right on a great lake. So like wind. Lake effect. Insane wind. Yeah. It's like regularly negative 30 degrees. It is, a, it is a nightmare in the winter. One of the worst places I've ever been. Is November considered winter? Like early November? Yes. November, really? you might get like weather is bad in November. It's also like weather in that in like Minnesota and that like Wisconsin, whatever, is extremely erratic. So like you don't know. You might get like a blizzard in April and you might get a pretty nice day in December. It's just really confusing and like all over the place. Rolling the dice. Yeah. So on November 9th, 1975, the SS Edmund Fitzgerald began its final voyage. Under the command of Ernest M. McSorley, the ship left Superior, Wisconsin at 2.15 p.m. The freighter was headed to a steel mill on Zug Island near Detroit. It was transporting 26,116 long tons of taconite ore pellets which were made of processed iron ore. Zug off. (laughs) Like we said earlier, McSorley was a seasoned captain to say the least. He had more than 40 years of experience navigating oceans and the Great Lakes. He commanded nine other ships before the Fitzgerald. So, I mean, he knew what he was doing. Dude had done it before. Yeah. A a time or two. Like he's, this is like the stereotypical, I'm two weeks until retirement type situation. Yeah, yeah. Soon after departing, the Fitzgerald was joined on its route by the Arthur M. Anderson, which had departed to Harbors, Minnesota, just north. It was under the command of Captain Bernie Cooper. The Fitzgerald was the faster ship and took the lead. During the trip, the vessels were usually between 10 and 15 miles apart. That was yeah something that I didn't realize until I had first uh, watched a video about the Edmund Fitzgerald is that it had a buddy. Like, yeah, that a pal. Right up until the moment of yeah. disappearance. Yeah. Disappear- disappearance? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they found it eventually, but yeah. I didn't know the ships used the buddy system. (laughs) Yeah. Almost immediately, there were weather issues. 
The two captains were aware of a building November storm that was entering the Great Lakes from the Great Plains. They agreed to stick to the northern side of Lake Superior, where they would be protected by highlands on the Canadian shore. Their plan was to eventually make a turn to the southeast to eventually reach the shelter of Whitefish Point, which was on Michigan's Upper Peninsula. But weather conditions continued to deteriorate. At 7 p.m. in the evening, officials issued a gale warning, which is a warning of sustained winds in the range of 34 to 47 knots or 39 to 54 miles per hour. Goodness. Yeah. And the storm kept getting worse. Good. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Yeah, this is like, it, it just quick, it goes from bad, like it starts out bad and then almost immediately gets even worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is dumb me, but I forget that Lake Superior, like on the north edge of it, that's Canada. Yeah. And then on the south, that's the good old US of A. But yeah, so we're, I, uh, while writing this, I had to consult a map. Okay, Whitefish Point, where is that? Oh, okay, Upper <laughs> Peninsula. Okay, I'm like yeah. orienting myself constantly. Isn't, yeah. Is the Upper Peninsula near that that little place that's, Connected to the landmass of Canada, but that is technically an island of the United States. Are you talking in Minnesota? Yeah, right. No, 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 no. The Upper Peninsula. Oh, that's Michigan. That's all Michigan. Um, Yeah. It's like connected to Wisconsin and that's it. It's like Michigan's a weird state. It it doesn't matter. I I, I have it on good authority that Joe is going to march in there, take Canada for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you know that? (laughs) Joe Biden? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's going to just forget that it's not America, but... Unfortunately, due to that, uh, those presidential powers that uh, Dick Cheney s- s- expanded, he can just take it. Sure. <laughs> Patrick, <All> right, yeah, <laughs> the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh huh. <laughs> Won't you? Those gale warnings were upgraded in the early morning of November 10th to a storm warning, meaning sustained winds of 48 knots, 55 miles per hour oh or more. Have you have you driven in like? I'm assuming you have growing up near here, but those windy conditions, even just on the road, when you're like oh, yeah, connected it's crazy. to the ground. Yeah. Like, I, I've driven through Death Valley before when there have been like 70, 80 mile per hour gusts and you have to wrestle with the wheel to stay on yeah. the road. It's really, really scary. Yeah, feeling your car move is very unsettling. Yeah, it's like a ghost is pushing you off the road. So to imagine a 729 foot freighter just sheer like metal on the, you know, yeah. uh, at the will of the winds. Is that a casino? There is a casino in Duluth that I've been to. That's another story that we don't. Okay. Yeah. Do you we get- got kicked out multiple times from going in multiple different entrances because <laughs> we were underage. <laughs> Did you win anything? Did you gamble at all? No, they got us right <laughs> as we walked in every time. It was awesome. I also, I broke my phone and lost my wallet that night. Oh. I love that as a kid, though, that's a successful evening. Oh, yeah, it was great. Tried. I still think and about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a win. That's, that's goofball. Yeah. Uh, hours. Okay. Back to the shipwreck. Oh, yeah. Winds gusted up to 50 knots. We are now up to 57 miles per hour, and the seas rose 12 to 16 feet. But this wasn't anything new to either captain. Both had guided ships in similar conditions in the past. They proceeded through the high winds and rains, and in the early afternoon, Fitzgerald passed Mishapakoten Island, I'm sure I'm butchering that, in the northeastern corner of Lake Superior. It turned south and started to head to Caribou Island. Yeah, and this is where, like, Caribou Island is, like, when we're starting to get closer to the Upper Peninsula. So it's, they're kind of, they're starting, they were kind of up along the Canadian side, hugging that northern edge, and then it's like, then they made that turn to start to head south. I think that is Canada, right? Caribou Island is yeah, in I, Canada. I, I'm not sure. But yeah, we're it starting is. to sort of 
Okay. Oh, you're posing it as a question. I looked it up. To, it is. To appear a little bit less so. <laughs> yeah. I don't appreciate your ruse, your yeah. false question. <laughs> make me look foolish. <laughs> no, Brian, you can make yourself look foolish all on your own. Oh, I can see it on Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> I have Google Maps pulled up right now. Okay. At 3.30 p.m. on the afternoon of November 10th, McSorley indicated that he was experiencing some trouble. He radioed Cooper and said, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have a fence railed down, two vents lost or damaged, and a list. I'm checking down. Will you stay by me till I get to Whitefish? And terminology check there. Checking down meant that McSorley was lowering his speed to allow the Anderson to get closer for safety. And if you don't remember from our other episodes, listing is tilting. Cooper asked McSorley if he had his pumps going, and McSorley said, yes, both of them. As the hours went by, radio communications with the Fitzgerald continued. They mostly had to do with navigation, and McSorley didn't give any particularly alarming reports. Yeah, and they're just trying to head south at this point to Whitefish Point to get to this little bay. And basically, that's it's going to be a little bit calmer, and they can kind of wait out the storm there. Yeah. Mm. At about 5.20 p.m., a wave smashed the Anderson's starboard lifeboat. Captain Cooper reported winds reaching 58 knots with gusts to 70 knots and seas of 18 to 25 feet. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this is a lake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where's it's it coming like, from? Exactly. That's, how, that's just the, how strong the wind is. Well... It's a big lake, though. It is a huge I mean, it's, lake. It's, it's a superior great lake. Yeah. yeah, you can't see the other side from I, one, you know, from either side. Yeah, the first time I saw one of the Great Lakes was when I went to Chicago a few years ago, and that was staggering. I, I, I was, I was yeah. awestruck. I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's so much water. That's uh, that's yeah. not at all what I was expecting." Yeah, to me, for I, I saw Lake Michigan too, like going to Chicago and thinking to myself, like, this is just as good as an ocean. To me, in my mind, it's, it's the same amount of water in my in my Texas brain. Well, and it's fresh water. It's yeah, fresh yeah. water. You can drink it. Yeah, you should, you should. drink it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially Lake Michigan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you sh- any body of fresh water off a city is for drinking. Yes, Schuylkill River, yes. Delaware. Yep, get your glass uh. <laughs> <laughs> and health insurance. <laughs> About an hour and a half later, giant waves started washing over the ships. These are big ships. The waves have to be enormous to wash over the top of them. Right. These are 730 feet ships, <laughs> like d- designed to carry ton- tens of thousands of tons of things. Just metal. Yeah. Or At about 6.55 p.m., Cooper said that he and other men on the Anderson felt a bump, and then Ooh. the ship lurched. Oh, They turned to see a giant wave engulfing their entire vessel. The wave crashed on the back of the Anderson's pilot house, driving the bow of the ship down into the sea. Oh my God. And this is this is not the Edmund Fitzgerald. This is the other ship. This is the other ship that survived. Yeah. Yeah. And like you can look up video of ships similar to this on the Great Lakes going through stuff like this. Like the front of the ship will just go completely under. And it mm. kind of then comes back up, it's, right? Like they're, they're kind of designed yeah. to deal with this to an extent, I think. Like it's not good. It's upsetting to watch. It's really creepy. Yeah, I take back what I said about lake captains because this is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I'll just to maintain some semblance of balance. I'll keep. Do you still I'll think they're it, yeah. cowards? I still. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say that. You heard it like you heard it here first, lake captains. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> No, stop. I think they're brave. Sure. 
Cooper was quoted as saying, then the Anderson just raised up and shook herself off of all that water, just like a big dog. (laughs) (laughs) Great quote. Another wave, just like the first one or bigger, hit us again. I watched those two waves head down the lake towards the Fitzgerald, and I think those were the two that sent him under. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. First of all, if your ship is shaking water off like a dog, you've got bigger problems. Oh, yeah. That's This is bigger than Clifford the Big Red Dog. This is a giant dog. Yes. Formed from a ship like a Transformer or something. 40,000 ton dog. (laughs) The Anderson's first mate, Morgan Clark, was tracking the Fitzgerald on the ship's radar, but he kept losing sight of the Fitzgerald on the radar, which was getting interference because the sea levels were so high. I'm going to, I'm just going to pull up videos of ships in the Great Lakes during storms just to like get myself in the headspace. Yeah. And we can, we can post some of these too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Clark spoke to the Fitzgerald for the last time at about 7.10 p.m. He said, Fitzgerald, we are about 10 miles behind you and gaining about one and a half miles per hour. Fitzgerald, there is a target 19 miles ahead of us, so the target would be nine miles on ahead of you. Mm. Well, answered Captain McSorley, am I going to clear? Yes, he is going to pass to the west of you. Well, fine. By the way, Fitzgerald, how are you making out with your problems, asked Clark. We are holding our own. Okay, fine. I'll be talking to you later, Clark said. Okay. At about 7.15 p.m., the Fitzgerald signal was lost again and did not reappear. Ooh, so that was it. That conversation was the last we heard of That was it, yeah. The we are holding our own turned out to be a very famous line because of that. Because that's the last thing he said. Oh, my God. And especially uh, prudent, I think, is 7.15. That's my birthday. Okay. All right. Well, I just think that, yeah, you know, no, it's, it's a no, personality-driven no, 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 no. show. No. <laughs> <laughs> Clark called the Fitzgerald again at about 7.22 p.m., but there was no answer. Wow, that's haunting. I know. You're out there. You've been with this ship. You probably know a lot of the people on the ship. I'm sure these guys know each other to some extent. A lot of the crew probably knows each other. Like you know, godfathers. They're, they're doing the same route. Yeah, exactly. From the ship scene, the sailing scene. Yeah, exactly. Scene. Like you're sailing, you know, you're 10 miles apart, but you're kind of, you're, you are kind of operating on this buddy system. And yeah. then all of a sudden just, boop, ship's gone. Oh my God. A giant ship. That's yeah. the, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. huge, huge ship is just gone. I'm going to, uh, Brian, I'm going to need y'all, the whole Austin crew to never respond to a slack with, we are holding our own. <laughs> because... That's not, hey, are you, sorry, we're going to be a little bit late to record. Are you guys good to wait a second? We are holding our own. <laughs> yeah. Call the ambulance, call 911. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Cooper then contacted the other ships in the area by radio, asking if anyone had seen or heard from the Fitzgerald. Concerned about the Fitzgerald, Cooper called the Coast Guard at about 8 p.m. By that time, Cooper's ship, the Anderson, had reached Whitefish Bay. So they weren't far off. Like, they weren't far away from the bay. Wow. Yeah, they were, yeah, not, and, and they were behind the Fitzgerald. So, yeah, I mean, they they kind of, they had almost made it, too. Yeah. I mean, you're, we're talking just 15 miles, 20, I, there's even a line in the song about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, they spoke to the Edmund Fitzgerald after the waves went that way? Oh, good question. No, I mean, it says, yeah, at 655, uh, Cooper and other men recorded the bump, and then it was at uh, about 710 that that last exchange happened, so... Uh, McSorley just, I guess, very, I guess, terse and reserved in a way. But by that point, you have to assume if if those were the waves that took it down, they already would have been 
taking on water or listening heavily or well, it's hard to say. Yeah. And and like just for for context, the map like on the map that it was almost at the end of its voyage. This was like they were literally just outside Whitefish Bay for, you know, relatively. Bummer. Yeah, I think things were probably that last time they talked. I think maybe things were going bad, but he was just trying to hang on. Like we were almost there. You know what? I take back what I said about lake captains. Do you like them now? I like them them now. now? Yeah, I I was just being a contrarian. (laughs) At about 9 p.m., the Coast Guard asked Cooper to turn back and look for survivors. Hell no. Yeah. No, sir. Yeah. In a in that ship? In that ship, in that weather. They didn't even give him another ship. Wouldn't turn, it take like an hour just to, to turn, turn it around? around? Yeah. yeah. It's so big. The agency didn't have the appropriate search and rescue vessels in order to respond to the disaster. Uh, Cooper was, you know, understandably reluctant to do so out of concern for his own crew. But uh, he did go back out. He went out and looked. Yeah, I, I watched an interview with Cooper. Uh, there's one on YouTube. It's it's pretty short. But he said his initial thought was, if you send me back out, you're going to be looking for... Because the Coast Guard said, we got a ship at the bottom of Lake Superior. And he said, if you send me back out, there's going to be two ships at the bottom. But then he just yeah. decided to go back out and, and, and look. Yeah, and I guess said, you do what you got to do. What's you the know? worst that could happen? I mean, I get it. You know, he's... If he feels like he's the only shot at possibly finding survivors, like, you know, that's a risk that you you weigh, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty to take. pretty uh, healthy honor code probably too Yeah, uh, among guys that, that work in this field. I, I, I don't know. I can only assume. Anyway, the crew of the Anderson eventually found the Fitzgerald's two lifeboats and some other debris, but there was no sign of survivors. Ugh. Yeah. Over the next three days, a search was conducted for the missing Edmund Fitzgerald, but only debris such as those lifeboats and some rafts were found. So really just nothing. On the fourth day, November 14th, a U.S. Navy Lockheed P-3 Orion aircraft found the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald using equipment that submarines use to detect magnetic anomalies. Whoa. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's unfortunate that they had to find it like that, but that's cool as hell. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's so that's sick. Damn. Mm-hmm. Okay, well so where was it? Yeah, so the ship was resting about 17 miles from the Whitefish Bay entrance. Oh my god. Yeah, right there. And uh it was in Canadian waters, 530 feet down. Again, lake. This is a lake. None of the 29 crew were found. Damn. Yeah, and and it's important to note, they just found, it's not like they used a submersible at this point to get down there. They just used their magnetic imaging and and sort of located it, but they didn't didn't put eyes on it at this point. Uh, Lake Superior, max depth of 1,332 feet, which uh, pales to uh, Lake Tahoe at 1,644, which is crazy, just staggering. The Fitzgerald's remains weren't seen again until the following May in 1976. The U.S. Navy used an unmanned submersible and found the ship resting in two big pieces. The bow section was standing upright in the mud, about 170 feet from the stern, which was capsized at a 50-degree angle. Scattered wreckage and taconite ore pellets were laying in between. Oh, my God. Yeah, just torn in half. And I would be born a month later. (laughs) 
<laughs> more importantly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Her- heralding the arrival of the great Brian Gar. One door closes, another door opens. <laughs> On April 15th, 1977, the Coast Guard released its official report on the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It said the cause of the sinking could not be conclusively determined, but the Coast Guard maintained that, quote, the most probable cause of the sinking of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald was the loss of buoyancy and stability resulting from massive flooding of the cargo hold. Its report went on to say, the flooding of the cargo hold took place through ineffective hatch closers as boarding seas rolled along the spar deck. So it just took in water, and it just... Yeah, and eventually, I mean, it's loaded with, what was it, 26,000 tons of metal? Long tons. Yeah. It's long yeah. tons. Long yeah. tons, yes. So it just becomes a a rock, you know? But, oh, man, yeah. it's it's it sucks just how, like, straightforward and simple it is, too. It's not like there was some great hitch that uh, made it so that the ship sunk or some misplaced rock or like something to do with the weather it's just yeah the hatches weren't closed right and water got on the inside of the ship and that's well that, yeah that's one theory that's one theory and there's more we'll get into it. my Ooh, own theory okay. is the big ass storm did it but that's just me personally really <laughs> yeah i okay. think interesting I, I think it was ghosts i'm thinking i'm thinking iceberg yeah. I think that I think the iceberg that did the Titanic. Really? Yeah, it snuck in through the Great Lakes. Okay, okay. Right? Cuz it goes in through the river in like New York or whatever and then once you're in one Great Lake, you can access the rest. Well, well yeah, you know. Easily. Seeing one you've seen them all. It sees the Edwin Fitzgerald and says, "There's a storm going on. No one's going to know it was me." You know, I haven't done this in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Just just one ship. I got my own idea and hold on to your butts with both hands. For I'm this. doing so. Yep. Gordon Lightfoot did it. Oh, he needed a hit. He needed a hit. Sundown yeah. had already come out, played at score. Gordy needed a big hit. And he was like, what better than sinking a ship called the Edmund Fitzgerald? That's I have already got two verses down. Yep. Let's make this happen. All right. Let's get into those theories. Let's get into it. What exactly caused the Edmund Fitzgerald to sink has never been determined, but a few theories have emerged. The Coast Guard report from 1977 blamed ineffective hatch closures as a factor. Under that theory, water could have flooded the cargo hold gradually throughout the day, and as a result, the Fitzgerald quickly sank to the bottom of Lake Superior without warning. And that explains no survivors. Mm -hmm. It's just, boom, it's down. Yes, okay. It's also possible that the hull developed a stress fracture A 1977 investigation of the wreck found that sections of the Edmund Fitzgerald were 170 feet apart. Some hypothesized that the hull was already weak and carrying a heavier winter load than it was designed to carry. As a result, the huge waves from the storm caused a stress fracture that made the ship split in two when it struck the bottom of Lake Superior. And this next one is the one that I've always heard. This is kind of the popular one, I think, is that Uh, rogue waves, or waves that are one-third larger than the others, sank the ship. A group of three such waves was reported near the area where the Edmund Fitzgerald sank, though. Wow. So, okay, what what constitutes a rogue wave? Like, what is one-third larger? I don't even understand how you can spot this. So basically, they're huge waves, much larger than anything else, that can appear very suddenly. Not like a tsunami, but because those are caused by you know, earthquakes, stuff like that, mm-hmm. but kind of a similar thing, just a huge wave. Like outliers. Yeah, exactly. Um, it kind of just 
they come out of nowhere and are really big. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Basically, though, rogue waves have sunk a lot of ships. They've also destroyed some lighthouses. <laughs> oh, holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Supporting that theory, Captain Cooper reported that the Anderson was struck by two 30 to 35 foot waves, and those waves, along with possibly a third, continued toward the Fitzgerald. I mean, yeah, if there's anything wrong with your ship already, and a 30 two 35 foot waves smash equalizer. into it, big waves. Oh, Lord. It's going to yeah. expose that. Yeah. God, imagine riding that wave though. Catch, catch oh, on the, the on a board the, on a board. Yeah, yeah sure. Catching the um, it's pretty uh, cool churn. People surf in Lake Superior. Oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I watched a show about uh, big wave surfing, and it seems so daunting and so terrifying. Yeah, I'm gonna skip it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna learn. <laughs> I'm not gonna learn either. Yeah. Just thought it was a good sh- whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Screw me, I guess. Another possible cause is that the Fitzgerald unknowingly ran aground on a shoal just northwest of Caribou Island. Uh, At the time, nearby navigation beacons were not working. Hmm. A Canadian hypographic survey in 1976 supported this hypothesis. The shoal ran one mile farther east than Canadian charts indicated, and Captain Cooper confirmed that the Fitzgerald had traveled through that area. So not necessarily like, for sure confirmed, but it's a likely, you know, that very easily could have happened. There's some support. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was in the, in, in the numbers. In some of the research. Yeah. Cooper had said he noted that it went closer than he thought was normal to Caribou Island. And just, yeah, that he thought that was weird. And sort of in hindsight, he thought maybe it shoaled and, and, you know, got a rip some sort of hole in the ship and it just took on water throughout the day. Yeah. Historian Mark Thompson had his own theory. He believed that the two lost vents that McSorley reported allowed flooding in two ballast tanks, or possibly one ballast tank and the walking tunnel, which could have caused the ship to list. Thompson also thinks that other undetected damage let water flood the hold. This damage was compounded by the extreme conditions on Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. Captain Cooper had his own ideas as to what caused the Edmund Fitzgerald to sink. In an interview before he passed away in 1993, Cooper said he believed that the Edmund Fitzgerald was taking on water long before it sailed into the storm. He thinks the ship ran aground in the afternoon and the extra water on board created a starboard list. Since there was no panic in Captain McSorley's last transmission, Captain Cooper believes that the incident was sudden and catastrophic. The ship just disappeared completely. He added, I think they were going under and they thought it was a big wave. And I think they just kept going, just plunged. Cooper said of McSorley's last communications, he showed no signs of panic. He was calm. I think that he thought that ship was going to get him through. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting interview with him that I found because he, uh, just the the classic, I feel like Midwesterner, you know, he's just sort of recounting this. This was probably in the late 80s, early 90s. But yeah, just total, you know, you could tell it bothered him, but it didn't really show in his demeanor. But he's, you know, kind of, recounting this but that has to haunt you oh yeah i mean i i guess what confuses me is the idea that the fitzgerald was taking on water and mcsorley didn't say anything about it well i don't think he would have known is what they're saying so so they would have attributed the listing just to the conditions rather than the storm yeah maybe the storm hit it i mean i think it's probably a mix of i i like he's i think what he's saying is essentially that it was a mix of several of these yeah. things, and right? Like, the captain just wasn't so concerned about it. I well, guess. I don't think the captain knew. So it's taking on some water 
and then the conditions of the storm make whatever giant waves are hitting you. True. Possibly. Yeah. I guess I don't know. I guess I guess I just would have thought that you would have known, but also crew of twenty nine, seven hundred foot ship. I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't know how yeah. these things are well, operated. I mean, I, I think, think it's just the frustration of not knowing, it, coupled with like how puzzling it is that it, he is so calm, which is a demeanor yeah. you probably want. Well, in that's, these situations. that's what it, that's what they're saying is basically like the ship maybe got hit or maybe like ran aground in some way they didn't notice. It was slowly taking on water. And then you get into those conditions where you're being hit by 35 foot waves. And all of a sudden that little hole maybe becomes a big hole. Yeah. Or it becomes like just a point where the ship can break no, more I, easily. I understand that. I, I understand that. I, I, I'm just getting caught up on the communication of it all. Like, why was he so calm? Yeah. Because I think it happened so fast. Yeah, I think it was sudden and catastrophic, like he said. Like, when it happened, it was just boom. Yep. I mean, that explains not one single person got out. No, did they find bodies? I don't believe so. I don't think they did, Yeah. if I remember correctly. Because there's the line from the song, Superior never gives up her dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, this goes without saying. We we all know this. It's the most metal of the Great Lakes. (laughs) I mean, it's making a pretty convincing case today. Isn't it called the Graveyard of the Great Lakes? Uh, no, that's that's me. Oh, that's you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's something to do with like, it's very cold and like the bacteria. That, it's like one of those other lakes or one of those other wrecks we talked about. Like it's so cold. Maybe it was in the uh, Arctic, but it's so cold that the bacteria that eats the stuff can't grow there. So everything's just sort of stays where it is. Oh, yes. not in like uh, what happened with the endurance. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah. yeah. A mini, a mini sode. You should go check out. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. just look up a map of like Lake Superior wrecks. Oh yeah. There is a shocking number. <laughs> like it's surprising. There aren't ship masts just sticking up out of there. Yes. At all times. Exactly. 535 foot tall ship masts. Yeah. So yeah, a number of regulatory and forecasting changes were made in the aftermath of the disaster. Those included, all vessels of at least 1,600 gross register tons were required to use depth finders. Each crew member's quarters and workstation were required to have a survival suit equipped with strobe lights. Life jackets were required to be equipped with strobe lights as well. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration also changed how it predicts wave heights for better accuracy. Navigational charts of northeastern Lake Superior were improved with greater detail and precision. To improve navigation, freighters were equipped with a Loran Sea positioning system in 1980. This was upgraded to GPS in the 1990s. For accurate immediate location data in the event of a disaster, all Great Lakes vessels were equipped with emergency position indicating radio beacons. So, I mean... It all makes sense. That's a lot. That is a from lot. From one shipwreck. Well, th- see, this, you know, this one... Probably messed with a lot of people's money. Oh, certainly, yes. Oh, this definitely yeah. cost some yeah. people some money. Yeah, this this was probably extremely costly. Oh, yeah. and it was just, and it was a lot more recent because a lot of these that we talk about are like you know, uh, uh, sort of late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. But this is like you know, forty five years ago. Not that, not that long ago. No, no, absolutely. It's uh, it it is fairly recent, and uh, you like to think that we're like. That we have these things figured out, but exactly, we live in a time where there are still things that, like these great mysteries that happen, like inside, very much inside our borders, that like feel so close to home. It's like 
uh, it's like the the Malaysian Airlines thing, like yeah. like a like a slap across the face reminder that like we are not in control. <laughs> like yeah. we're just not. We can we can do a great deal, and we can we can predict and uh, compensate and accommodate and handle these things. But sometimes stuff just happens, and we don't know why. And that's just it. And that's that's maybe the most frustrating of it all. Yeah, I think like having the internet and everyone with a phone on them kind of lulls you into thinking like we know everything at all times now. But yeah, that Malaysian airline, that's what it, it made me think of that too. It's like, nope, sometimes this stuff just happens and we yeah. have no idea. Yeah, especially with like, you know, sort of with like what we talked about uh, with the Jeanette is it, just like, it, it's like there was a time where so much of the world was unmapped and undiscovered. And I think living beyond that when things are all mapped out in a matter of speaking makes us feel like, well, then it's accessible and we know what's there. And it's like, well, no, yeah. something can sink in a lake and we will never find it. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I do want to talk quick about the bell. The bell. The bell of the Edmund Fitzgerald was recovered. And that's bell kind of like an insane story in its own right. Um, they got a guy named Bruce Fuoco. Okay. Who dove down. So... 535 feet down. So he's in what's called a newt suit, which is like, essentially looks like, <laughs> it, it, it's like a space suit. Okay. It's crazy looking. Newt um, suit? It's almost, that I, it's I, almost, I would expect. yeah, it's almost like a submarine that you wear. So he spent hours down there with like an underwater torch, right? Yeah. Just cutting the bell loose. Oh, so he went down there wow. for the bell. Like yes. I'm getting this. Yeah. That is staggering. They wanted. They wanted the bell. Bad. I. Uh, we should post a picture of the nude suit. I'm looking at it. It's spacesuit is a great description of it. It's like a puffier space. It's like the Michelin Man with a spacesuit helmet. It on. looks like someone's wearing the slide out of a McDonald's play place. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. It's hard to explain. It's just like weird bubble joints and curves. So basically what happened is a bunch of the family members, like there, there had been a lot of talk, you know, with advancement. This is in 1995, by the way, or 1994 mm -hmm. and 95. There was a lot of talk of going down there, recovering bodies, recovering like whatever from the shipwreck. And a lot of the families who like lost people weren't really into that. They kind of wanted it huh. to just be left to rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, not have their remains or whatever might I mean, be down so there. I mean, so many disturbed. years later. Yeah, um, they, I think they kind of just like that was their their gravesite at that point, you know. But they did decide the families that there could be like you know something taken from the ship as sort of like a a symbolic you know thing. They decided that it would be the bell. Okay. They, uh, I, I also read that like the Canadian, because this happened in Canadian waters, and since the wreck over the years, the Canadian government has passed various laws limiting diving around that site or like exploring it, and I think you know basically to keep people the hell away from it. Yeah, yeah. And they did uh, a lot of those family members like were on board a boat when the bell came up, like in a boat near. Oh, really? Boat. Yeah. That's oh wow. Yeah, huh. that's touching. You you grew up around there, Patrick, or at least that area. Like, did was this? Were you aware of the Edmund Fitzgerald growing up? Was this like sort of a local legend? What what was it like? Yes, it is. It's like I was just like something my dad would talk about a lot. 
Huh. You know, because it was like just kind of interesting. And like he spent a lot of time in that area as a kid. I spent a fair amount of time up there, like later in life, that area, like in my 20s, I guess. Um, Because it's not like super close to where I am, but it's it's nearby. I get it's not far either or where I was, whatever. But yeah, it is kind of just like, you know, it's our shipwreck, I guess, is kind Mm -hmm. of how it's sort of viewed, maybe Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's like tragic and, and yeah, there was this. And then the song, I mean, there's just like all these elements, there's a big mystery to it. So I, I can totally get that. And, and everyone's, yeah. or not everybody, all those family are, are still, you know, a lot of them are still alive. So yeah, it yeah. wasn't that long ago. To commemorate the tragedy, the Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society holds a memorial ceremony at its Whitefish Point Museum every year on November 10th. Mm-hmm. During that ceremony, the recovered bell from the Edmund Fitzgerald rings 29 times for each of the lost crew members. The bell also rings a 30th time in remembrance of the estimated 30,000 people who have died on the Great Lakes. And that's just what we know of. Yeah. In 1976, of course, the Canadian songwriter Gordon Lightfoot wrote The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald with lyrics based on the disaster. It hit number one in Canada and number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. This is a different time, the 70s. Well, yeah, now, now, Very we're, different time. now, we're, now you're talking about my dad. Yeah. Because that's how, that's how I came to understand uh, this, this particular wreck. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the song would come on, and my dad knows all the words. Of course. And loves to sing along to it. And uh, it, goes, it goes hard. Yeah. Gordon, you know, not the only Canadian hit about a shipwreck, too. Mm-hmm. No, there's many, many. It's it's haunting and it's 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 like what it was one of those I feel like radio staples that like if something was big in the 70s, that was back when mass media was still really mass. So you heard it all the time, mm-hmm. I assume. Oh yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure they replaced the bell with a replica on the ship. Really? Yeah. Hang on. So it would still have one? Cuz that's crazy. Oh. That's like some Davy Jones stuff, like you know, like it can't pass to the other side unless it is whole, made whole. Oh, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh-huh. Balloons, you know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitting here. I'm just spitting. I, I'm not finding another thing for that, but I'm pretty sure that they took a replica bell down and replaced it or something. Oh, okay. I, why? I, maybe it felt wrong to take it. I guess so. I guess. There's, there's some weird ship traditions like... I don't know if every ship does this, but I think they do. Like they still in encased in, in like the frame of the ship, they'll like stick two coins. And oh. that's like an ancient tradition that shipbuilders would do so that like if your ship wrecked, you would have some money to, you know, a little walking around money. Oh, what the hell? Like, Wait, really? Land- yeah. No, I'm serious. Oh, I, not I for this. like crossing the river sticks. No, I think it, there was like a practical thing. Huh. So I I am Right. They used another newt suit to go down again and set up a replica bell and put a beer can in the pilot house. That's a that's some uh, some good Midwestern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Hey, let's give them let's make sure they have a beer down there. They, and I mean, it had to have been how, wouldn't the pressure just like crush it? Was I it mean, filled it with just, sand? It, not if it was just an empty can. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah it's yeah, symbolic. Okay. Yeah. No, but oh, yeah, because if it fills with water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, forget what I said. Forget what I said. So that's the Edmund Fitzgerald. That is the Edmund the Fitzgerald. Rock, the wreck thereof. We finally did it. Yeah. Never, never ask us for anything again. No, 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 no. 
We got one more thing to talk about today, though. We got a couple things That's, to talk well, about. Well, the number one honorable mention. Yeah. Foghorn. E oh. 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 Today's honorable mention goes to the MSC Opera. Ah. Yeah. Right? It's a 13-story cruise ship. Whoa. I guess that's normal. It is, but I think this is a good story of just the, the at, to put into perspective the scale of these things. So it's 13 stories, smashed, fully crashed into a dock in Venice. That's Venice, Italy. I think in 2019. Oh my God. Oh, really? recently. Okay. So there's video then, surely. Oh, there is video. <laughs> <laughs> Venice, Venice already not doing well. There is a lot smells, of video. It apparently smells terrible and is sinking. Uh-huh. So this was June 2nd, 2019. Also, a few years earlier, they uh, found a crazy amount of cocaine in some On, passenger cabins. But oh, that's just cool. unrelated. That's just a separate incident. Not related at all. So what happened apparently is that the engine failed, but the thrust was still on. So like yes. they couldn't do anything, oh, no. but the sh it's like speed too, right? You can't it's turn just, off. There's no brakes. It's just going. It's yeah, just and they can't. Oh, they, I've seen this video. Oh, yes. I remember this. Yeah, it is so funny because it's just a building that is coming towards the dock, <laughs> like a full size building. Um, so basically, oh, there is no. just no way to stop it. There, like they had some tugboats that I think were trying, but I mean, come on. These things are enormous. Holy cow. Look at this. I, I'm looking at this video of like, yeah, handheld footage. Some people are watching and they're trying to be cool at first, like just walking briskly. And then they realize like, oh, this isn't stopping. And yeah. then people break into it. You run. see the pick up the pace. Yep. Yeah. And there's multiple videos. So there, oh it, there's video God. from the dock and then there's video from the top of the ship. Yeah. Which I also recommend looking at because that is like great for just putting into perspective how big it's, it is. It is a building coming towards you. Yes. It's, it's it's so hulking and massive. All these people are alongside it. Get out of a get out oh of the God. way. I what know. if it lists? I know. Jeez, what what are y'all thinking? Cl things are clearly not going right. <laughs> the video shows this just juggernaut bearing down on the port with people running and screaming. It it hits another ship yeah. coming in. It's it's terrifying. It's very scary. Because again. It's a building. Yes. That is just like the the horn is going off the whole time too, which is so funny. Just like well, you've got a thing, Patrick, about large machinery. Oh, it frightens me. So this is probably it's not a, your it's ideal. Kind situation. of a nightmare, yeah. Yeah. If I were there, um, it's a bit of a nightmare. This one in particular, kind of noteworthy because I, I guess, uh, what would you Venetians? Sure, Italians. They don't uh, care for cruise ships. Okay. Uh, because, you know, Venice is a huge tourist destination. Sure. It's also a lot of canals. It's a very delicate ecosystem. It's constantly like the sea levels are rising and it's mm -hmm. a problem. Uh -huh. So there are so constantly... A cruise ship will displace quite a bit of water. Constantly. Yeah, these huge ships, they either block waterways, they create waves, or, you know, you just don't want to look outside in this amazing area that you mm -hmm. are in. And see a f***ing building in the ocean. Yeah. Multiples. Usually a lot of them. It's just a, like it's an eyesore. It causes a bunch of problems. You know, there's pollution, all kinds of stuff. So I guess there is like quite a few, you know, there's like protests in Venice regarding cruise ships. There's like a pretty large movement against them in that area. Yeah. So it was kind of like, 
pretty validating for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, probably. I think. Cruise ships are like relax. It's yeah. it's fun. It brings tourists. And then one the just fucking <laughs> smashes into the dock. Holy hell! <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, smashing into your feeds not long from now is season two of Ship Hits the Fan. Oh. Woo! Yeah, we, we did yes, it. Yes, we got renewed for a run of 12 more episodes. Mm -hmm. So this one right now is the last of season one, but don't worry, we're not going to leave you uh, 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 what's the word? I don't, I don't know. Empty uh, high and dry. High and dry. Dry do High and dry docked. Yeah, we have some, uh, we've got like, I think, I think there's going to be like a little break of maybe two to three weeks. We'll still release stuff yes. those weeks. It just, it won't be like a big shipwreck like this. It'll be more, It'll be like little it'll little extras. Yeah, it'll still I think be like fun, interesting stuff. Yeah, we'll have stuff for you to listen to. It, it's going to be a little bit probably less like educational. Like, well, no, it might still be educational. I don't. We don't know exactly what it's we're. It's like gonna a do little yet. DLC, some exactly DLC, exactly. exactly. And then we're going to get right back into it. I believe on May seventeenth. I think that sounds right. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, this has been. So cool and so tremendous, and and we're so appreciative of everyone who's listened. And I also wanted to quickly shout out everyone who's been involved in making this happen. Uh, of course, Brian for for writing these great scripts, and uh, Omar, uh, Nick, Kelly, Eric Bador was uh, hugely helpful. Josie for putting together uh, graphics and stuff. Lewis, Evan, and Alyssa, just like a whole host of people. Yeah, just uh, I'm sure I'm missing people because I'm a callous. And an mm. awful person. Sure. No, yeah. that's that's it. That's everyone. That's everyone. We didn't everyone. mention you. It's because you didn't have anything to do with this, and <laughs> yeah. you were intentionally left out. Or it was a personal decision. It was on a personal decision. Yes. yes. Office are, politics. We are baby. feuding here yep. on ship hits the fan. But anyway, and if you didn't know then. You know now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, this has been really, really, really cool, and I'm really excited to to do more with you guys. Oh, and also, I've, I, a lot of people have been sending us ships and stuff like that. I think the next season's going to be longer. So any help that, Please. that we yes. have in like, we love when people send ships to us, even if it's not like, uh, even if we don't respond, you know, we have found, I think we've at least gotten one episode this season from just somebody on Twitter. Yeah. We've definitely Peter gotten Iredale Peter Iredale. Peter right. from, yeah. And I think, I think we've gotten some honorable mentions that we've way too. We've gotten some honorable mentions. We've gotten some great shout outs. We've gotten, I actually, uh, I don't have to find it. I got a great photo of the Ever Forward, which mm -hmm. is still sitting in the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, where um, it belongs. Uh, let me let me find that actually. Well, it's an audio <laughs> medium, belongs. so we don't need. Well, I just need I want to find, no, I want to find out who it's from. <laughs> okay. But, but I'm, I'm, thank you so much for saying so. Yeah. It's been really cool seeing people like interact with the the show and and you know the the artwork that people have made. Uh, it's it's been cool. It's you know, I mean this this thing is only been, what two months old and it's it's crazy to see how much it has grown just in that time. Uh, it, it's it's yeah. really been fun to to put it out there and see people respond. So I'm I'm glad you guys like it. And I, I just speaking for myself, it's been a lot of fun to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and so shout out uh, Joe Dissolve on Twitter for right, sending cut, us cut that. This cut great that. Well, no, don't cut that. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it because I mentioned it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in season two. See ya. Bye. Bye.